So let's uh, go ahead and I'll preach a message. Even though there's enough happen, I can just pray and close in prayer. So uh, we've been talking about opportunities, and the, the sub-theme is opportunities. Choose your response. Say, choose my response. All right. And before I dive into the sermon, I'd like to go ahead and talk about the opportunity we've been unpacking through January, and that is one that faces us. Uh, if you weren't here the first week of January, I announced that uh, in August, Joyce and I expect to be handing off leadership of CLC uh, to a new lead pastor. Uh, that first week, I talked about the process we went through to get us to this point. Last week, I talked about their credentials, his credentials. This week, I want to talk to you about uh, what will happen from here on uh, during a season of overlap between now and August. So if elected next weekend, that's your discerning choice to make. Our new pastor will announce their resignation to their church February 4th and take four or more weeks to leave their church in a healthy way. Meanwhile, February at CLC will begin an enjoyable season of gratitude for all God has done with us together over the past 40 years. The weekend series will be a slightly nostalgic best-of series called Picture This. I'll get to redraw popular sermon illustrations through the years, and I've written one final sermon book that will be available for the series. So I'm going to have a whiteboard on stage all month long. I'm a happy guy, all right? Yeah. We'll have three volunteer appreciation parties in the gym in February. Pick one, the 20th, 21st, or 22nd. That's Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Our volunteer appreciation evening used to be a really fun annual celebration until COVID kind of ruined it. But we are back, and it's going to be a great nostalgic party and also celebrate our future. February 3rd and 4th, we'll launch registration for almost 1,000 of you who volunteer in some capacity to make CLC the awesome church family that we are. We look forward to having you with us. The sermon series, Picture This, will actually run through the second weekend of March, the 9th and 10th. On that weekend, our daughter Lauren, our son Jonathan, and his wife Monica will join us in service as the board says a, a sort of final thank you for all of our years at CLC. The series, culminating in the final week of March 9th and 10th, will be the last time of just us as we have been a church family together uh, for 34 years uh, as lead pastor, but also we've been on staff for seven years before that. Our new pastor and his family will relocate to, relocate to Dayton. Uh, their first weekend at CLC will be March 16th or se- and 17th or later. He'll be the lead pastor-elect, and I'll remain the lead pastor in a mentoring role. Incidentally, March is a super busy month for us at CLC. March 1st, 2nd, and 3rd is our annual meal pack for Eswatini with Hands Against Hunger. Each year, if you're new, we pack six, almost 600,000 fortified rice meals for our partners in Africa. In 2024, we will easily surpass the 7 million meals mark that we have packed for Eswatini. So that's exciting. Sign up for that. And then the evening of March 3rd, we have Tim Hawkins as our special guest in a sold-out comedy concert. Then the following weekend on March 9th and 10th is the final weekend of memories and gratitude with all of us as a congregation. March 16th, 17th, we welcome the new pastor and his family. And that night, we we host a sold-out Phil Wickham worship concert. Uh, March 23rd and 24th is Palm Sunday weekend, followed by Good Friday on the 29th. And Easter weekend this year is early. It's March 30th and 31st. Our new pastor will participate in services in March, but his first sermon will be Good Friday, other than next weekend when he'll preach. I will preach Easter one last time, and we'll tag team the sermon uh, the first weekend of April, 6th and 7th. And then we'll take turns preaching about every other weekend through July. I plan to preach once in August. The alternating role will allow the new pastor to be out and about, or as it is also called, MBWA management by walking around. I was asked in Growth Track how a new pastor can learn all that he needs to learn in our six-month overlap. This flexibility will be so helpful in that. 
because once he's preaching every week, he will have no margin to check out what goes on in our kids' area, youth services, connections, and discipleship ministries. Sharing weekend speaking duties will give him this valuable learning flexibility to meet people, get acquainted, and get a feel for what's going on. As springtime weather arrives in April, we'll have some Sundays in the courtyard. These will be open meet-and-greet times during the services that he isn't preaching. This will allow you some close, up-close and personal time to meet our new pastor and his wife. We'll have coffee and breakfast snacks in the courtyard, bagels, donuts, and such. During his early weeks on staff, he will also have the flexibility to spend several days up to a week at a time embedded in our different staff teams. This will give him a good operational feel of Christian Life Center. This suggested gradual and intentional onboarding process is because we believe his top priority upon arrival and for probably his first year or so is to get good at leading our Jerusalem, all things Little York Road. Easing into the role will help him learn along the way the many nuances and dimensions of a great church like Christian Life Center. During our overlap season, I will help him meet different leaders in our community and our God-sized vision and learn the CLC universe. He will get to ride shotgun on our goal-setting, calendar planning, and budget process that spans from March through August. On the last weekend of June, 29 and 30, we'll have a formal installation service naming him as our lead pastor. I'll move out of my office and across the hall, and he will fully step into his role as lead pastor of Christian Life Center. I'll remain on staff in a mentoring role through August to assist the new pastor as he needs. Joyce and I will take a three-month sabbatical from September through November. While we'll occasionally attend CLC during those months, we we will need to take a much-needed break. As I mentioned last week, it's the desire of the incoming pastor and his wife and for Joyce and me that we can continue to make CLC our home and find meaningful roles to serve in and belong at this church that we first joined when I was 26 and she was 24. Church people are good at having opinions. In fact, most people, church or not, are good at it. Especially if you have been in a church that has gone through a pastor change. Much of the time, this is not a positive experience. I'll remind you again, would you say, this is not that. We have done prayerful due diligence to maximize our potential in this season of succession. In our study of church succession in large churches, the best examples seem to be of churches that were able to welcome and follow a new lead pastor while still sustaining the contribution of the previous pastor and wife. Once I leave in August, I don't plan to have an office, nor to be around all the time. Joyce and I would simply like to find a place to belong and serve at CLC. With this in mind, he is eager to sustain our involvement and healthy influence at Christian Life Center. Our new pastor and I will discuss further ways I might be able to help him after handoff and after returning from sabbatical, perhaps with things like our Africa ministry, inner city partnerships, etc., until he's ready to take them on. Granted, this is looking ahead and not guaranteed. Joyce and I need to feel comfortable in that new CLC universe and vice versa. Having spent 41 years of our lives here, we love Christian Life Center. We certainly want to see this church thrive forward into the future. With God's help, we can go this journey together and realize the theme of our 50th birthday as a church in 2018, our best is yet to come. Please plan to be here next weekend for all the important services and meetings that you've heard about. If he is elected as a church, let's show ourselves to be a church family worth uprooting and relocating your young family for. Together in prayer, we believe God has and will continue to do great things in us, among us, and through us. Let me add just a couple of quick thoughts related to questions I received from services and from Growth Track. First, one question asked if we considered any internal candidates. The answer is yes. In our initial search process two years ago, we invited any current interested candidates to apply. None did. No current staff have indicated an interest, nor do any of them currently meet all the ministry experience requirements of the board-defined pastor profile I mentioned last week. Another question was, what if he's not elected next weekend? 
In this unlikely case, the board would contact a search firm to do another search for a candidate, but would likely not change our overall timetable too much. One person raised a question about staff. Our current staff is well aware of the transition and ready to commit to this next season in the life of Christian Life Center. We expect minimal staff turnover, if any. As I mentioned last weekend, the candidate is an ordained Assembly of God pastor and aligned with our theological beliefs as well as our convictions about moral issues in our culture today. It's important we're on the same page. Another practical question was of scheduling. How long would I be doing baby dedications? Talking with Dirk, our weekend team leader, I'm scheduled to do baby dedications this weekend, again in March, on Mother's Day, and a final time in mid-July. After that, it'll be our new pastor's responsibility. Finally, I gave a poor answer to someone who asked, so what's next for you and Joyce after CLC? I gave a very open-ended, shoulder-shrug kind of a response. Let me be a little clearer of a future that we aren't clear on. (laughs) Certainly, Joyce and I are looking forward to more free time and margin in our lives. We already talked about having Saturdays free for things like Ohio State games, because if it's not a night game, I don't see it, and the fall festivals across our community. At the same time, she has kindly asked, you're not going to be home all the time, are you? (laughs) Your laughter says you agree. So I would like to be part-time busy. I'd love to teach a class or two at a nearby university, community college or seminary, uh, with an MBA, a master's in counseling and psychology, and a doctorate in conflict management. I can teach a wide array of subjects. And if you have any referral connections to those institutions, let me know. When this started two years ago, the board helped me launch a nonprofit named For You Equipping. Uh, several of you business leaders have donated toward this organization to help it get started. I use it to mentor and support lead pastors of churches across our region. I plan to continue using For You Equipping. I'd, lo- I'd enjoy using my experience to do leadership mentoring and ministry, but also marketplace settings. And of course, I love to teach, to lead, and problem solve, and so those abilities don't just go away. And so I'm, I'm trusting God to open doors, and perhaps some of you have referrals or opportunities you might suggest. I'm all ears. Uh, Joyce reminds me that as a do-it-yourself, or if nothing else, I can always go work at Lowe's. So you may see me in a red vest yet. Um, COVID and then having cancer was a double whammy that forced Joyce into an unanticipated sort of retirement. She did keep her nursing license uh, 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 up and up and running. So as she gets through the next two years of treatments, uh, she's praying about what God has next for her as well uh, and for us in the years ahead. So we appreciate your concerns and your prayers as we journey together into this unfamiliar season and territory. Uh, it's an opportunity for Joyce and for me and for all of us at CLC. And so with that said, uh, let's kind of change gears and let me segue into a sermon because all of us have opportunities. And their experiences, my hope and prayer for you is that every opportunity you have in 2024 is something you look forward to, you want it, and you enjoy. But that's probably not going to be the case. We have opportunities that are a surprise to us, opportunities that are painful and difficult that we would have avoided, uh, but they still happen. And so as we're looking at uh, this series about opportunities, uh, this final week, I'm excited to share it with you because when it comes to the opportunities you're going to face, uh, we said last, uh, last couple of weeks in Romans 8, we said, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? And so realize that God is for you. And if God is for you, that's an amazing truth. And I'm speaking to Christ followers right now because when it comes to this message this weekend, God has so many options for your opportunities. Everybody say, God has options for me. And uh, it's no matter who you are, 
the first thought is from Joel chapter 2, verse 28, when God is speaking through the prophet about the outpouring of the Holy Spirit at the day of Pentecost in the last days, which we're living in. He said, it'll come about after this that I'll pour out my spirit on all mankind and your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on the male and female servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days. So if you are either male or female, young or old, would you please raise your hand? All right, somewhere between. It applies to all of us. And so these opportunities are ours. They're God's that he will exercise on your behalf as you face 2024. One opportunity that's more of an opportunity for our adversary, uh, Satan's a great opportunity, he's good at what he does, is sin. I'm not talking as much about the sin you're going to commit in the future, but the sin in your past. And the Bible says all of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So one thing you know about the people around you, you're sitting near sinners. It's part of what we do in life, and we, we seek God for grace and forgiveness. But he's an opportunist because he wants to take your sin and shame you with it, not let you forget it or get away from it and tether you to your past. And that's not God's design. That's God, not the opportunity God has for you. And the greatest proof text of that, everything I say, I try to make sure I can back it up. If God was ever going to punish, shame, bind someone to their sin, do you not think it would be the person or the people who ruined his entire creative plan. Adam and Eve are the first humans that God created. He placed them in the Garden of Eden. They were in perfect harmony with themselves, with God, with each other, and with their environment. All he said was, enjoy the whole garden, just don't eat from that one tree. What did they do? They ate from that one tree. And the Bible says with their sin, which is rebellion against God, knowing what God wants and doing the opposite, With their rebellion, the floodgates opened and sin and death and disease and sickness and all that rushed in like a flood on all of humanity. They ruined it for us. I can't get too angry at them because if they didn't ruin it, I'm sure I would have. But you would think that he would say to Adam and Eve, you ruined it, you sinned, you're guilty, go to hell, you're dead. Boom. But he didn't. Look at, look at what he did instead. And, and, and their response when they sinned, when they were created, the Bible says they were naked and unashamed, just totally innocent. And when they sinned, what did they do? They hid. They were ashamed. They tried to hide from God. When we sin, we try to hide our sin. We carry a load of shame. Look at what God did instead when he found them in their sin. In Genesis chapter 3, 21, the Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and he clothed them. When it comes to sin, his forgiveness covers our shame. His forgiveness covers your shame. And to some of you who have asked for forgiveness and received forgiveness for things in your past, and you still deal with guilt and shame, guilt and shame, stop uncovering it and leave it where he left it. If we confess our sins, the Bible says he's faithful and just to forgive you of your sins. Yes, even that one. And to cleanse you of all unrighteousness. Yes, even that. And so sin is a, God has tremendous options. And the option he exercises with your sin is forgiveness and grace to cover your shame. Some of you are going to be at a place in 2024. You see no way forward. 
you don't know the path. It might be in your relationships, your career, emotionally, mentally, financially, I don't family, whatever the case might be. And you don't know the way. You can't see it. And I thought of a couple different illustrations of this, but and I picked the most familiar. I wanted to not do it, but it has such great wording. Moses was raised as an adopted son. It's an incredible story in the household of the king of Egypt, Pharaoh, for 40 years. The Israelites were slaves as a nation for four centuries at this time, near the end of that fourth century. And he went out one day and he saw a Jew being mistreated by an Egyptian. They didn't know he was a Jew. And he defended the Jew and killed the Egyptian, buries him in the sand. He flees the fugitive. And so he spends 40 years on the backside of the wilderness as a shepherd. And God comes to Moses and says, I want you to go back to Pharaoh and let my people, tell him, let my people go. Moses argues with him, I can't do it, I'm not qualified. And on top of the ISIS, ISIS stutter, what kind of mouthpiece is that for God? But God won't take no for an answer. He gets angry and finally sends his brother Aaron with him to do this task. And he goes and he goes to Pharaoh. It's an amazing story of deliverance, the plagues and what God did. And, and finally, Pharaoh lets the people go. 1.5 million people, scholars estimate. That's a lot of slaves. It's a lot of free labor. And they're traveling across the wilderness. They're following a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire at night. Imagine that. That's God's positioning system, GPS. You ever follow GPS, though, and it led you to the wrong place? I remember when my daughter was in high school. She was on a rowing team. And so I had my GPS out, and Joyce and her were already there. And so I was going to find whatever river it was in Columbus. And I got somewhere, and GPS, you have reached your destination. I'm like, I'm in a cul-de-sac. <laughs> this is not a river, right? Something wrong with it. Moses had to say and think, God, something is wrong here because the people are panicking. We are now at the Red Sea, and the Egyptian army is coming. They've changed their minds. And they are freaking out. Look at what God says, because they, they saw no way forward. But Moses said to the people, do not fear. First of all, those of you who are afraid of the impasse you're at, you don't see a path forward, don't fear. Stand by and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. There are times when you, can't, you don't know what to do. It's best just to wait and stand without fear and see what God's going to do. For the Egyptians who you have seen, you will never see them again forever. The Lord will fight for you while you keep silent. Sometimes God fights through us, with us, around us. Sometimes he just fights for us. And the best thing you can do is just be quiet and wait. Then the Lord said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? I mean, he was probably, God, where are you? What do we do? Freaking out. Tell the sons of Israel to go forward. Uh, forward where? As for you, lift up your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it. And what? And the sons of Israel shall go through the midst of the sea on dry land. I don't know about you. I'm carrying this stick. I'm not sure how confident I would be. Everybody be quiet. I know the Egyptians are coming. This is the sea. Hang on. We're going. How confident would you be lifting that stick up and doing that? I would not. But he did it. Sometimes God will make a way forward for you, and it looks ridiculous. He'll make a way forward for you in 2024. You won't anticipate. You'd have never thought of it. Trust him when there's no way forward. He has options. Tell your neighbor, God has options. And then... When the future, not just no way forward, but it looks fearful. I mean, it's life-threatening. 
marriage-threatening, career-threatening, well-being-threatening, fill in the blank. That's scary. I'd love to tell you, pray this simple prayer, accept Jesus, and none of that happens. But that's not true. Many of us in here have been through overwhelmingly horrifying seasons where we, we were scared to death. It was a battle. It was a fight. And, and the odd thing is, when you look at Scripture, God knows that's where you're at, and that God knows that's where you're lead, He's leading you. I love the 23rd Psalm that says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I love it that He makes me lie down in green pastures, lead me beside still waters, and He restores my soul. I don't like what comes after that. Verse 3, he restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil for you are with me. Back up, that paths of righteousness for his namesake? And then he elaborates on what's the path of righteousness for his namesake. Even when the path of righteousness is through the valley of the shadow of death. Some of you are going through that valley right now. You don't need to be afraid. I will fear no evil. Why? Because your rod and your staff, they comfort me. In your darkest, most dismal of hours, you do not need to be afraid because he'll protect you, he'll guide you, he'll lead you. God has options. And then he has options for when we're going through life and it feels like what we have is not enough. And I almost hesitate to land on that thought because uh, Dirk and I were riding through the the bush of Zambia several years ago with Pastor Wafuka. And Pastor Wafuka in this land in just abject poverty said something that really kind of changed our definition understanding. He just off the cuff said, well, enough is a choice. So many of us don't have enough, don't have enough, don't have enough. Well, you, you do if you're like Paul, I learned the secret of being content. I can just make a choice. What I have is enough. Certainly who I am is enough. Enough. But I'm not naive. I know there are times that there is just the ends do not meet and it's, it's not going to work, whether it's the math, whether it's not enough on, at, at the job, whatever the case, and you, are, you do not have enough. Then what? Well, let's look at what God did. Let's pick Elijah, an amazing prophet. And in 1 Kings, look at his instructions in chapter 17. The word of the Lord came to Elijah saying, go away from here and turn eastward and hide yourself by the brook Cherith, which is east of the Jordan. It shall be that you will drink of the brook and I have commanded the ravens to provide for you there. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord. So he went and lived by the brook Cherith, which is east of the Jordan. The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening and he would drink from the brook. Long before there was DoorDash, Uber Eats, or Grubhub, God had raven delivery. I don't know. I mean, who would think he'd do it, solve it that? What kind of, that's an amazing option. And you're picturing them carrying their beak. I just thought, maybe he made them little raven pouches too. They put the food in there. I don't know. But God can provide for your need when you don't have enough, when you aren't enough. Trust him. He has options. He's the most creative being in the universe. He probably has, slight facetiousness, he probably has more creative ideas and solutions than you can come up with. So trust him. And then you're going to get desperate some this year. 
And at times, at extreme cases, God even enlists angel help. And uh, let's talk about a guy named Daniel. He is a friend of the guys I talked about last week, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Daniel also was in, uh, in bondage, uh, in exile in, in uh, Babylon. He was serving the king, and he was, boy, the king really liked the guy. He was really sharp, did a really good job, very devout. And Daniel had a lot of enemies that didn't like that the competition. You know, the Babylonian guys couldn't stand this foreigner. And so they said, we got to get this guy somehow. But the only way, we can trip, only way we can trip him up or do anything to him is if we somehow accuse him and find him guilty in regards to the law of him and his God. That's how devout he was. So they, they manipulated the legal process. They made it illegal for anyone to pray during this certain period of time to anyone but the king. Daniel's like, I won't bow to that. If you remember last weekend, and he kept praying three times a day. That was his, his practice. And sure enough, then his enemy's like, great, Daniel's still praying. Let's arrest him, take him to the king, boom. And sure enough, he stands before the king, and, and the king gives him a chance to relent of it, and he won't. And he says, well, then the punishment is the lion's den. So be it. Read it. Daniel's got incredible courage there that God will deliver me one way or the other. The king, reluctantly, he likes Daniel, throws him in the lion's den and says, hopefully your God will protect you. The king spends a sleepless night, runs to the lion's den the, the next day, and he cries out to Daniel, Daniel, are you okay? And Daniel responds in chapter 6, verse 22, My God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouth, and they have not harmed me. Inasmuch as I was found innocent before him, and also toward you, O king, I have committed no crime. Now they say we entertain angels unaware. It'd be kind of cool if people come up to us and say, hey, remember that time? And if something great happened, yeah, well, that, I was an angel and I was there for you. Um, an angel did it there. He's, he's throwing the lion's dead, and when the, when the lion comes at him, an angel wants to grab that lion by the jaw and like did a body slam, boom, nice kitty, stay, you know? <laughs> I can think of one time in my life, I kind of jokingly but half, half serious, that an angel may have intervened, I'm sure perhaps many, but it may have intervened in our life uh, it was back in 2020. Um, as, you, as I mentioned, Joyce had, we had COVID, which was a nightmare, especially leading a church. And then Joyce came down with breast cancer. She almost died 4th of July weekend uh, from the chemo. Uh, a month or so before that, Lucy, our going to be 18-year-old dog, died, which we were very fond of. It was just a rough season. And so she was in the radiation treatments. And I'm like, well, we got to do something, get some life here or whatever. And we talked about when we get a dog next, and I kind of rushed it. And so we got this puppy, and I'm, after we got the puppy, I thought, oh, my goodness, puppies are a lot of work. I forgot. Um, but anyways, what we would do is we would take, you know, feeling like garbage if you've been through that. So our entertainment was we take a drive. So we'd load up in the Lulantra and get a Coke or a coffee and, and Lulu, and we'd just drive. And it was in the summertime. And so uh, we, we uh, had little Lulu. You got, yeah, there she is. That's her. And so, isn't she cute? Right? By the way, I'm her daddy. Don't tell her. And so we'd toss Lulu, and she's on Joyce's lap. We're just driving. And we're somewhere in Miami County on one of those rural farm roads, you know, and the speed was 55. I set the cruise. And we're just cruising along 55 miles an hour. And, and so windows are down. We're listening to music. And so she puts Lulu in the back seat. And a minute later, Joyce goes, where's Lulu? And I look. And I look at my rearview mirror. You've heard this story. And I see this little black ball rolling on the, on the, yeah. She jumped out 55 miles an hour. 
I slam on the brakes. I throw the car in the park right. I just left it in the street, and I'm running. Lulu, Lulu, you know? And, and I'm looking to see, is she limping? I, I'm, my goodness, you know? And she comes to me. I pick her up, and I'm feeling her as I'm going back to the car. Like, no broken bones, I could tell. She had a little road rash on her head and her nose. The best I can figure with trying to pass her through COVID, we lost our dog. She's got cancer, almost died. God must have said to his angels, somebody get that dog. <laughs> they can't take any more. <laughs> so I want to say it lightheartedly. God's looking out for you. He has options. And if you think of options on a continuum, anywhere from amazing miracles or amazing grace. I have to remind myself of this a lot. How many of you ever asked for a miraculous answer to prayer and it didn't happen besides me? Man, Satan will beat you up with that. Well, where is God? But God doesn't do that. God's not real. God doesn't care. Something wrong with that. I mean, fill in the blank of the way he pounces on unanswered prayers. He does miracles, though. In John chapter 5, there's a man who, had, who couldn't walk for, I think, 38 years, the Bible says. Jesus walks by him, and let's look what he says in John 5, verse 8. Jesus said to him, get up your pallet, get up your pallet, pick, get up, pick up your pallet and walk. He gets up, boom, healed. Yay, God. Miracle, miraculous. He still does miracles today. On the flip side, you have Paul. And this guy's a total stranger, a no-name, but he does that. I don't understand then when you got Paul on the other end of the continuum, has this amazing conversion experience, and he plants half the New Testament church. By the way, all the churches in Revelation, they're in the, the modern-day country of Turkey. Um, he plants half the New Testament church or more. He writes almost half the New Testament. Amazing man of God. Uh, and, and he had some kind of a issue that he called a, a thorn in the flesh. I think it's a good theory. If you go to the book of Galatians, it might have been eye disease. Because early in the book, he says, when I was there, some of you would have plucked your own eyes out for me if you could have. And the end of the book, he says, see what large letters I write with my own hand. So he, it seems like the guy's got eye problems, and he's alluding to that. And then when you go to Corinthians, he talks about something called a thorn in the flesh. And he says in verse 8, concerning this, I implored the Lord three times that it might leave me. And he has said to me, actually, he said, no. My grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses so the power of Christ may dwell in me. I love it when God says yes. I love it when God says anytime, right away. I'm not fond of no. And lots of prayers get answered, no. At least no to the miracle request. But when he doesn't give you amazing miracles, he will give you amazing grace. And when the answer is not there, man, I, le I le try to lean into that. God, I need your grace right now. I need your comfort. I need your strength. And, and in that, he will meet you there. He's got options. He breaks bondage and he gives us strength. And bondage comes in lots of different forms. This one is literal. Paul and Silas were preaching the gospel, arrested for their faith, and they are in prison. And the Bible says in Acts chapter 16, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns of praise to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. Like, what's going on? What's with those guys? Suddenly there came a great earthquake, so the foundations of the prison house were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened, everyone's chains were unfastened. Poof, broken the bonds. There are some things to learn there, even though I've never been in physical chains for my faith. 
And that is that there is power in worship and praise when it comes to breaking bondage in your life, even if you're just a worship service of one. Another thing is that many times breaking bondage, getting free, is done together. And other people can help us along that path of encouragement. That's why we have something called Celebrate Recovery. It's tomorrow night. In fact, if you're interested, tomorrow night, come to the door 2 at 6 o'clock. There's a light dinner. There's a time of celebration and teaching. And then you can break into the small discussion groups where people will understand where you're at. I had somebody recently asked me, but I thought CR was just about like drugs and alcohol. I'm like, oh, that's just part of it. It's about hurts, habits, and hang-ups. And some of you are, have been hurt in your past, and you're bound to it. You can't leave it. You can't get over it. It, it ruins your life now and your thoughts, and you need, you need to break free from that. CR can help you do that. Habits. It's not just habits addictive, like behavioral habits, but we have habits mentally, and, and you know, we keep messing up relationships, we keep messing up opportunities or whatever. It's, it's for you if you want to break free, if you want freedom and from bondage in your life. He also gives us strength. Uh, the strength illustration is an unfortunate one, but it's a great example of how God answers a prayer for strength. Samson was a judge in an ancient Israel appointed by God. And he had supernatural strength, and he's kind of in folklore. Samson is a, a phrase, that you, a, a person you would hear about. And uh, Samson is a picture-perfect, horrible example of someone who ruined their life and their potential with their sexual immorality. And you can read the story. Long story short, he's lost his strength. He's lost his privilege with God. And, and the Philistines, the enemies, they threw him in prison, gouged out his eyes. He's blind in a prison, primitive prison for the rest of his life. And the Philistines one day, years later, are having some kind of big festival celebration. They say, hey, let's, let's get their half drunk. Let's get Samson out here. We'll, we'll, have, we'll make fun of him. He used to kill our people. We'll, we'll show him. So they bring Samson out to the big Colosseum, and they let him stand somewhere. He says, kind of put me by these columns, and they do. And you engineers and whatnot know that there are supporting beams and whatnot. And, and Samson in Judges 16, it says, Then Samson called to the Lord and said, O oh Lord God, Please remember me and please strengthen me just this time that I may at once be avenged of the Philistines. God, just one more time. And God strengthened him one more time. The place came tumbling down. I don't know about you, but there have been dark, hard places in life where I've said, God, please just give me strength. Sometimes it's physical. Sometimes it's internal. God needs strength to get through this. Ask him. He's got options. I'm in agony. God, I need comfort. Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit can comfort you. He's got options. I need wisdom. I need direction. Ask him. He'll give that to you. And the, the greatest option of all is that it's never really over for us. The Apostle Paul I talked about earlier, he's in prison. The writing's on the wall. He knows that they're going to execute him, probably behead him for his faith. And so he writes to his young protege, Timothy, and he says, I'm already being poured out as a drink offering. I'm spent. That was an offering of worship. And the time of my departure has come. Tim, I'm, I'm going to be gone soon. They're taking my life. I've fought the good fight. I've finished the course. I kept the face. In the future there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. The wonderful thing is, when it's over here, when I breathe my last breath here, I breathe my next breath in His presence for eternity. 
So while you're here, fight a good fight. You get knocked down, get up and fight a good fight. Finish the race. When you can barely put one foot in front of another, ask for strength, ask for help, ask for wisdom, and finish the race. And do not listen to the accuser. Keep the faith. You don't understand everything. God's far more knowing than you are. His ways are higher than our ways. He's more creative than we are. Keep the faith. And someday there'll be that well done from him to you. And so I want to close in a word of prayer. If you just bow with me. And then sort of a, a sort of a different way to, to leave. No matter who you are, male, female, young, old, God has options for your opportunities. And as I've talked through this today, some of you are already thinking about stuff you're facing in life or you're afraid might happen in 24. If you're still burdened by sin and shame in your past, let his forgiveness cover it and leave it. If you feel like there's no way forward or the future looks fearful, trust him. God has options. If there's not enough, trust him what he might do. If you're desperate, he can even call angels to help you. And he will give you either amazing miracles or amazing grace and break your bondage and give you strength until someday we're with him. So Lord, we, we ask you for that today. And as I pause, whatever's on your heart, ask God. Whatever you're facing, ask him to exercise his options in your life. Don't tell him what to do. Dictate it to him. Just ask him for your help, for his help. If you don't know him, surrender your life to him today. Oh Lord, we're, we're thankful you're faithful. You see where we are. You see the path we're on. And oh Lord, I pray that the path of righteousness leads always to joy and happiness for everyone in 2024. But my experience says that's not going to be the case. So when the path veers downward to the unwanted, downward to the dreaded, I pray that you'll help us not to be fearful, but that you will make us strong in you and that you'll protect us, comfort us, and guide us. We're so thankful for the wonderful blessings you bestow upon us and the options that you exercise that, Lord, we don't deserve, but it's because of your goodness and your grace. And so we, we surrender ourselves that as we face opportunities, we will choose what we say to these things. If God's for us, who's against us? In your name we pray. And everybody said, amen. All right, here's your exit assignment. Uh, before you leave, and there are Rottweilers at the door, so you can't leave. With, all right, no, before you leave, uh, we're going to throw a list of uh, what I talked about on the screen. And those are all, those aren't all of them. Those are the options I mentioned, the options that God can exercise and more. I want you to tell somebody, here's the kicker, that you didn't come to church with. Oh, it's going to be so easy, all right? Tell somebody you didn't come to church with one of those things that you've seen God do in your past, all right? Stand up, talk to somebody, have a great day and a great week. You're dismissed. Thank you.